Welcome to the CKNW Weekend Morning Show podcast. I'm your Saturday host, Sterling Fox, and today, conservative MP and leadership hopeful Scott Aitchison joins us to talk about China's expanding influence in Canada and why he wants to become Prime Minister. Colin Standish is the new leader of the Canadian Party in Quebec. He'll tell us why he formed the party and all about Bill 96, the latest English language killing legislation. And Lark Group Vice President Rowena Rosati gives us all the details on the new $312 million Legion Veterans Village opening soon in Surrey. So let's get started. We are joined now from a beautiful little town in the heart of Ontario's cottage country. Uh, former mayor of the city on Lake of Bays, Huntsville, Ontario, is uh, the, the scene where we find Scott Aitchison this morning. Mr. Aitchison is a conservative leadership hopeful. He is the member of parliament for Parry Sound Muskoka in Ontario. And he's here to talk to us this morning about a number of things, including, of course, the conservative leadership race and Canada's relationship with China. Scott Aitchison, good morning sir welcome to our program sterling it's a pleasure to be here thank you for having me well it's good to have you along and i know you're headed west in a week or so scott so we'll you're kind of we're giving you a bit of a sneak preview of the hsn uh, hit the west coast tour which uh, shows up here in a week or so i want to talk to you scott about china first of all we'll get into all the the local domestic stuff in a minute but this is a subject that we've spent a great deal of time on this program over the years scott the pervasive influence of beijing in the world of politics and we found out for example, from your party alone, that uh, up to eight Canadian ridings were very deliberately targeted by Beijing in the last Canadian federal election. The idea at the time, as you see it, and Mr. O'Toole, uh, the former leader of the party, also saw it the same way, the Conservative Party uh, uh, was a target of Beijing and the Communist Party of China. Uh, talk to us a little bit more about what they did, Scott, what you found out has happened. Well, I, there's no question that you know, China's espionage activity uh, has affected not just, you know, our politics, but it's, uh, it's affecting Chinese Canadians as well. This is, uh, this is a threat that we can't ignore. Uh, and it means that uh, we have to be, you know, working closely with our allies like Japan and South Korea, United States and Australia and other partners and coordinate our efforts to defend not just our interests, but, you know, the global security and prosperity as well. And one of the things that you recommend, Scott, by way of doing precisely that and sending a rather stern message in the process is for the government of Canada to formally recognize Taiwan. How doable really is that? Well, I think it's, it's completely doable. The one China policy has been a failure. We should be honest about that. It's time that Canada does recognize that Taiwan is an independent sovereign country and established full diplomatic relations with Taiwan. You know, this is a thriving, prosperous democracy. It's a force for good in the world. And Canada can't just stand up for, we can't just talk about freedom and democracy here at home. We have to stand up for it around the world. Right. Taiwan is, Taiwan is ready for this. Uh, and I think that uh, Canada can be a leader of, of all Western nations in recognizing Taiwan's independence 
Uh, and I think a lot of other nations will follow suit. Interesting, because one of the most, uh, I think, in terms of Western nations, most up against it in terms of dealing on a daily basis with relentless pressure from China is Australia. And they've adopted a much more aggressive posture towards China than Canada has. We could learn more than a few lessons from their playbook. The question, though, is, is Australia as ready as you are to recognize Taiwan? Oh, I think they are. And I think that uh, Australia uh, is another example of a, of a leader, particularly on this file. Uh, and Canada should be a reliable partner with Australia and stand up with Australia, stand up, you know, with the countries, not just Australia, but there are other countries that are that are obviously, you know, standing up uh, to the to the to the bully Chinese communist regime. And that's Taiwan. We need to be a reliable, re- reliable international partner. Uh, and not just let countries like Australia do it alone. Yeah, and, and I, I suppose, again, and I have no, I'm, I'm quite sympathetic to the position you're taking here, Mr. Richardson. However, uh, it's not without risk, is it, Scott? Because if we decide, okay, we're going to recognize Taiwan, and Beijing really, really will become extremely upset in one single heartbeat and lower the boom, and that could be more uh, boycotts of canola and other Canadian agricultural exports, which our farming community relies on heavily. So talk about the risk involved. I, I don't dispute that uh, it, it can't be done, but there is a fairly high degree of risk involved, isn't there? Well, there, there is. And, you know, China is a threat to the liberal international order. You know, unless Canada and countries that share our values come together and stand up against the Communist Party's increasing aggression and human rights abuses, our, our security and prosperity is under greater threat. It's why we need to act boldly, and it's why we can't be naive. We can't be naive about what what countries will do. Just look at Hong Kong and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. What some countries are willing to do when no one stands up to the bully. And so, you know, this is this is an important stand for Canada to take. And I think all Western nations will work together with us. We have to work together. uh, And frankly, with all Western nations and, and democracies working together and taking principled stands together, uh, there's, you know, China can't boycott food from all countries. They need us. And so I, I think that that's why it's important for us to work together and build the relationships Canada needs to build in the, in the, in the international order to make sure that we have, we have uh, allies and partners that trust us, that we will actually do what we say we'll do, and that we're good, good to our word. We haven't seen that in the last seven years. Canada has not been a reliable partner with our allies, and we need to do better. Okay, let me just follow up on that sentiment, Scott, if you don't mind, by switching to Ukraine since you've opened that door for me, sir. We are uh, in a situation where our European NATO allies are at the mercy of Mr. Putin and his uh, oil, and uh, we and other gas products that are fine in June and July, but when we come around to January, the story is going to be very different, and the circumstances are going to be much more dire. Canada is in a position to help our allies uh, with LNG and other petro products that the current government is is, is just opposed to. The notion of, for example, an LNG pipeline from Alberta to the East Coast in order to, to supply Europe with L- much-needed LNG is, is just, it's, uh, it's heresy to the, to the Trudeau government. Uh, are you, uh, uh, w- as Conservative Party leader, would you be more uh, inclined to look at some form of 
pipeline mandate to do the role that you talked about in terms of Canada stepping up when we're needed? I can be I can be more unequivocal than that. I'm one thousand percent in favor of of doing just that. I, I would never ever let uh, Justin Trudeau's uh, image and ideology get in the way of good policy that's good not just for Canadians but good for the whole world and good for the security of the whole world. Canada is one of the richest nations in the history of the world because of the resources that we have in the ground and on the ground and then the oceans. And we need to stop being ashamed of being a resource superpower uh, and make sure that the world has access to our sustainably, ethically produced energy. This is, this is a classic example where, 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 where the continuing threat of all of Eastern Europe you know, could be solved could be solved. This energy security issue could be solved if we hadn't had a Liberal government dithering and playing games on Canadian energy for the last seven years. Well, it is kind of embarrassing when you see the, the you know what the, the conversations are behind closed doors. Look, we really need you people to come through for us now. Otherwise, Putin's got us stretched out on the rack and can do whatever the heck he wants. Come on, Canada. And you know, we're just not coming on, are we? No, listen, this is this is probably one of the most glaring examples of the embarrassment that Justin Trudeau is on the world stage. So the, the, one of the one of the key areas where Canada could be actually a reliable, you know, partner and solve help solve the problem. I mean, we, we we've never lived up to our two percent commitment on uh, of GDP spending uh, on NATO, and and of course we're not a reliable partner there. But this is one area where it should be a no brainer. It should be so easy for us to do. In fact, it would actually generate income for the country and trudeau dithers and just can't get it done so you know i listen i don't need to criticize trudeau i think the the entire country is pretty much tired of justin trudeau but as conservatives it behooves us to make sure that we put something on offer in this leadership race and put together respectable reasonable policies that will 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 win over canadians in places like bc in places like the gta of, of toronto because Canadians are tired of Justin Trudeau, but they, they have to have something in, in the Conservative Party they trust. Star guest is joining us from Huntsville, Ontario, on Lake of Bays. He's the former mayor of the city of Huntsville and is currently the member of Parliament for Parry Sound, Muskoka, Ontario. Scott Aitchison is also running for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. And Scott, one of the uh, votescott.ca friends, if you want to find out more about Mr. Aitchison and what he stands for, vote Scott. One word, dot .ca. And Scott, at that website, you talk about ending supply management. Uh, our good friend, uh, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois at uh, the uh, Agri-Food School in uh, Dalhousie University, uh, also a very strong proponent of ending the dairy cartel and, uh, well, getting prices down a little bit in these days of high inflation. What's your rationale, Scott, for ending supply management? Well, this is about affordability more than anything else. This is this is one of those uh, one of those areas where I know that we can do better, not just for consumers, but also for farmers. You know, farmers have done, I think, well in a, in a broken system for over 50 years. But this is an opportunity for us to create more competition in the dairy industry, particularly make food cheaper for Canadian families who are struggling to make ends meet, mm-hmm. pay their bills. Everything's getting more expensive. But it's also an opportunity uh, for for the federal government to work collaboratively with with farmers, some of the best farmers in the world, I might add, dairy farmers in this country, and help them create new markets around the world. 
every trade agreement we negotiate, a little bit more of our supply man system gets chipped away at. I think it's time for us to start looking at this seriously so that farmers don't get completely shut out uh, and our and our and our trading partners uh, don't shut us out, don't completely take this away without us having laid some groundwork and plans uh, so that so that our our, our world class dairy farmers have markets around the world and we can make food cheaper for everyday folks that can't afford to buy milk. And by way of looking at an example, my goodness, Scott, if little New Zealand can pull it off quite successfully and really turn their entire dairy industry around, imagine what we could do if we put our minds to it. That country of five point whatever million people, they sold $17 billion worth of dairy products around the world last year. In Canada, sold a few hundred million. Mm -hmm. We can do a lot. Absolutely, we can. Let's talk a little bit about the conservative leadership race, of which you are a part. Now, Scott is coming out to the the West Coast to uh, introduce himself in person to British Columbia Conservative Party members and prospective voters as well. Uh, Scott, you are one of the lesser-known members of this leadership race. Uh, the the, the, the high-profile leaders, Mr. Poilievre and Mr. Charest, uh, really quite uh, exaggerated with their editorials and op-eds in the newspaper, taking dramatic positions um, you you say that you're a unity guy talk to us about what that means to you and the future of the conservative party well I think those dramatic positions are dramatic positions and that they're taking positions against each other and that's part of our problem i think that you know the conservative party and our conservative movement needs to be united and that that, that doesn't mean uniformity it doesn't mean we all agree on everything right but it means we respect each other. We listen to each other. I, you know, I think there are factions within our caucus even right now. I don't agree with the way all of my colleagues vote, and they don't agree with me. But I guarantee you they all respect me because I listen to everybody and I, I engage with everybody. And to me, that's what leadership actually is. The leader of the Conservative Party of Canada uh, or the leader of any political party, the, the leader of a municipal council. When I was mayor, I engaged and I empowered my council to be a part of something bigger than just themselves. That's what's missing in Ottawa. There are too many people in leadership positions that don't know the first thing about leadership. When you have a caucus of 120 members, you need to be talking to them regularly. You need to be bringing them in. You need to be involving them in the process of, you know, deciding what policies we're going to run on, what approaches we're going to take on, on issues as they come up. But more than anything, you got to make sure that you're engaging and empowering them and making them, making them part of, something bigger than themselves that doesn't happen in ottawa it's what's missing and i'll tell you it's how you make sure you have a united group not one that agrees on everything but a group where the leader always works hard to make sure that we find the common ground those issues that do unite us and and put forward a a united uh cohesive group that that canadians will trust and until we can do that until we can put forward a a a reasonable message and, and show that we are united as a, as a conservative caucus and a movement, there's no reason Canadians who don't traditionally vote for us will ever vote for us. We have to come together. And I'll tell you, I've been, I've been embarrassed by the, by the behavior of, of some of the campaigns uh, in this leadership race. It's precisely what Canadians are sick of. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the partisan rhetoric, the nastiness, the name-calling. Name name-calling. Yeah. Can you imagine a bunch of adults calling each other names? Canadians are sick to death of it. And so I think they're ready for a little bit of small town mayor who understands that being in public life is about solving problems and, and getting things done for the people you represent, not about our own egos. And so that's why I put myself forward. 
to bring respect back to our politics, unite our caucus, unite our movement, and unite our country. The politics of dividing Canadians east versus west or urban versus rural, that's, that's the liberal playbook. And, and they use it effectively. We need a leader of the Conservative Party that will, that will call Canadians together. That will call Canadians together is all those things that unite us versus all those things that divide us. Yeah. Scott, I wanted to ask, I wanted to ask you about party discipline because you've been talking about this over the last couple of minutes now in, in, without using the phrase discipline. Uh, and yet you have, uh, you, you have a need for, uh, leadership. The Harper leadership, for example, very rigid party discipline was imposed. And yet we here we have the Canadian parliamentary model, which is of all the Westminster parliaments around the world, the most or the least, uh, one that places the least emphasis on the individual MP. An MP in Canada is someone who does what they're told by the party whip or the party leader, period. They don't get much chance to get out there and represent the people that actually gave them their job in the first place. So how do you, how do you square that circle, Scott? You want more autonomy for individual MPs to allow them to be more effective, and yet you need the leadership and discipline of running a party so you can effectively pass legislation. Well, listen, I, this, is, this, is, this is what it comes down to. This is, this is leadership. It, it, it might take a little more work to build the support you need for the positions that you want to take, but, but, but that's how you build unity. That's how you build uh, support for good policy. It's how you make sure that, 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 you know, members of caucus are people that have gotten themselves elected to the House of Commons. That's right. an impressive thing. Mm-hmm. They should be like adults, not like children. And if I have to work hard to earn a few more votes uh, of, of members of the House of Commons, be they conservative or, or another party, then that's good for democracy. That's good for public policy. When I was mayor, uh, I never lost many votes because I always made sure that any policy ideas I was putting forward, I talked to members of, of council ahead of time. And oftentimes they would suggest improvements to make the policy better before it ever came to a vote. That's how you engage and empower. That's what I would do. And I think we need to have more free votes, as an example, in the House of Commons, because we need to treat those representatives of the people with respect. That's about treating not just those individuals who hold that seat with respect. It's about treating the people they represent with respect as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, final question to you, Scott, and it's great to have you on the show and to give you a bit of a preview, or at least give BC folks a preview of what to, what to expect when they finally have a chance to shake your hand. And, and I am expecting ver- a, a number of uh, meetings and so on will be announced in the few days and posted at votescott.ca. Uh, given the opportunity, uh, and again, with the ranked ballot system, where do you place your chances uh, several months out with the, with this controversy still bubbling beneath the surface and a lot of negativity flying around. Well, well, I, listen, you, this is this is about uh, about spreading an important message of unity, of hope, uh, of presenting you know clear policy ideas as opposed to you know mudslinging. Yeah, I, I'm doing this for the right reasons, and I think it's uh, resonating well with Canadians, resonating well with conservatives. You mentioned me being one of the lesser-known candidates. I'll tell you, three months ago, I was the completely unknown candidate. All right, so fair ball. The, the message is getting out there. More and more conservatives are saying, I really like what you're doing. Uh, I, I have a lot of colleagues in Ottawa, even caucus members that have endorsed other candidates that come up to me and say, I'm really proud of what you're doing. I'm really impressed. Thank you for being the adult in the room. So, I, I listen, I think that my chances are great. 
and they and they and they improve every day. The more I talk to more Canadians and more conservatives, uh, they improve every day. And so I'm just going to keep on going and make sure that uh, I demonstrate that you can you can lead with respect uh, and with a message, a positive message of hope uh, and and consistent principled conservative policy. Scott Hson on this Canada Day weekend, sir, we are grateful for some of your time uh, from Lake of Bays and the city of Huntsville. I've caught a few fish in my lifetime in Lake of Bays, by the way. I had an uncle with a cottage just outside of town there, so I know your area of the world pretty well. We appreciate your time, Scott. Thanks so much, and hopefully we'll have a chance to say hi when you're here on the West Coast. We'll make sure of it. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Pleasure to welcome Colin Standish back to our program. Mr. Standish was with us a few months ago talking about English language rights in the province of Quebec. Well, since that conversation, Colin and colleagues, including constitutional lawyer Brent Tyler, have put together a new party called the Canadian Party of Quebec, specifically to oppose Bill 96, the new, uh, well, basically French-only legislation coming from Premier Francois Legault. Colin Standish, good morning and welcome back. Good to have you with us again. Hi, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you back, Colin. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the Canadian Party. It is quite recent, within the last couple of weeks. Yes, of course. So, so myself and some others have come together to found the Canadian Party of Quebec. So it's a new provincial party here um, to field candidates for the October 3rd election. So just three months away. So very tight timeline. So we put together a great team. Um, and to give you some context, this really comes at the end of four years of the CAC government. They have Francois Legault has passed a variety of legislation. I'm not sure how much has been talked about in the rest of Canada, but Bill 21, so the new secularism law that takes away religious rights and freedoms. Bill 40, that took away, that abolished all school boards in Quebec. Mm-hmm. And then Bill 96 is a new language law that really, it's, it's way beyond that even, that it restructures our country in fundamental ways, invokes the notwithstanding clause, and really is going to cripple the rights and freedoms of all Quebecers. So we founded a party because no one was doing anything about it. Okay, now let me, let me, can I just stop you on the nobody was doing anything about it, and we'll get back to your efforts in a second. But as I understand it, the primary responsibility of the Prime Minister of Canada is to defend the Canadian Constitution. And we have the Prime Minister of Canada, also the Member of Parliament for the Montreal constituency of Papineau, uh, who has not uttered word one in opposition to Bill 96, and who is in derogation of duty in terms of defending the Constitution. Why will the government of Canada do absolutely nothing in the face of Bill 96? Uh, well, that's a great question. So in regards to the government of Canada on Bill 96, they've, they've actually acquiesced to it and supported certain aspects of it. Um, that was really May 18th last year. So Bill 96 was in, in, uh, introduced May 13th. Myself and others were sort of shocked that this bill came out. We were studying it. May 18th, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, said that one of the biggest parts of the bill, the constitutional amendment, that actually now there's an amendment made unconstitutionally to the 1867 Constitution that say Quebec is a nation solely defined by the French language, ethnically and territorially, and that is now in our Constitution. And myself and others stood up and said, how is this possible? The Prime Minister says a province can unilaterally change the, pro- uh, the Constitution in such a fundamental way. And that was really the catalyst for myself and others to get active. I founded the Task Force on Linguistic Policy, an interest group to stop Bill 96, 
Um, but you've not just seen um, acquiescence, but you've really seen support for a lot of detrimental language policies in the province of Quebec by our federal government. It is shocking, and, uh, and, 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 and yeah, and it needs to be stood up against in a very thorough way by all Canadians, coast to coast. It is astonishing, to say the very least, Colin, the fact that they're doing nothing, and all those members of Parliament, the Justice Minister, the Environment Minister, the Foreign Minister, they're all MPs from Montreal, and they're all looking the other way. Now, listen to the, to the kerfuffle that Daniel Smith, would-be leadership candidate in the province of Alberta, is talking about saying, you know, uh, if you vote for me and we win, uh, we're just going to start ignoring Ottawa. Well, can you imagine, imagine the reaction of all of those Montreal MPs if someone from Alberta decided to get uppity? Well, they just come at them with all guns blazing. Somebody in Quebec does it. Well, they've invoked the notwithstanding clause, you know, so we're really powerless. What rubbish, Colin. Yeah, I agree. You, know, you can't have this. Uh, yeah, we say in Quebec, deux poids, deux mesures. You know, two different ways of doing things, two standards um, of uh, across the country. So, and, and once again, the respect for our constitution. That's Saskatchewan as well. It's proposed uh, amendments provincially. So is Alberta. You see this balkanization of Canada that we've had constitutional amendments. Quebec's the only one to have the pretensions that they can do it on their own. Right. But you see this balkanization of Canada, where the same rights and freedoms do not apply coast to coast to coast in illegitimate ways. So we need to stand up against it as Canadians. Canada Day was yesterday and we got to remember the bedrock of our freedoms the things that uh, the you know the the, the the rights and freedoms the ideas that a hundred thousand canadian men and women died for in the 20th century is at risk if we don't stand up and do something using the democratic and legal means that we've been provided for absolutely and the hardest part is watching the those nominally in charge actually look the other way and quietly lend their support instead of ferocious opposition so colin you said the leadership i'm sorry the provincial election is coming up fast how many candidates do you expect to field uh, for the provincial election this fall? So great question. So in, in Quebec, we have 125 ridings provincially. We're actually trying as best we can to field a full slate. So we are provincial-wide riding. Um, however, we're bounded, obviously, by the reality of that. We are 90 days from election day. Yeah. Um, but we are having great candidates coming through the works. We have, um, we're doing an elaborate vetting process to ensure that you know, we're doing a due diligence, criminal credits, civil checks, all that, all that stuff. Um, we're going to be fielding as many candidates as we can. So I'm confident we're going to get very, very close to 125. We're going to be focusing on uh, Montreal, on the eastern townships. That's where I'm from. It's a bilingual rural area just north of Vermont. And then as well next to Ottawa, the Western Quebec, the Udoué, Pontiac. Those are ridings we know we can win. We expect to win seats in this election. But once again, so we're focusing on those three regions, but we really are seen as a provincial movement that unite all Quebecers. We're not just for Anglophones or minorities. It really is a movement to unite Quebecers against what is happening in this province. Do you think, Colin, and I'm, I'm grateful for your time, and I know how busy you are putting this whole thing together, and it's all brand new, and you got a ton of work to do, a big mountain to climb. How much do you think people elsewhere across the country are aware of what you're up against? You know, I, I encourage, you know, I appreciate that. I, you know, I think all Canadians need to tune into what's going on in Quebec. And often, you know, what we hear coming out of Quebec, these, these, these new laws, these assaults on human rights and freedoms, invoking notwithstanding clause, we can kind of turn away and discuss. But I encourage my fellow Canadians, don't give up on Quebec and Quebecers. The majority of us don't believe in the things that our government has done for decades. They don't believe in dividing Quebecers on linguistic and language lines, uh, linguistic and ethnic lines. Um, but we can have a better Quebec. We can have a better country. Um, so once again, um, you know, our, your fellow Quebecers need your help. Um, and we need the help of other Canadians to, to ensure that we have a better life here in this province. So, um, so we can do it. We can do so in a constructive and democratic and legal manner. And Canadian Party Quebec, all one word, dot com is where you can be found online, correct? 
That's correct. If you want to learn a little bit about us, or we have our six principles. Um, and as well, if people, you know, your listeners, some of them live in Quebec, you can sign up as a member free of charge, make a contribution. That would be very much appreciated as well. And spread the word. If you have family and friends in Quebec, please let them know about the Canadian Party of Quebec that will be fielding candidates in this election. Absolutely. And once again, friends, that web address is CanadianPartyQuebec.com. The leader, Colin Standish, with a big mountain to climb and a big job ahead of him. Colin, thanks for a few moments of your time. We'll check back with you as the campaign goes goes forward. We do appreciate the opportunity every chance we get. Thank you so much. Happy Canada Day long weekend. Mario Canseco from Research Company on the line. Mario, good morning and happy Canada Day weekend to you. Good morning, Sterling. Happy Canada Day to weekend to everybody. Indeed. A couple of headlines from your company to look at this morning. They go together rather nicely, too. A couple of days ago, you released uh, Canadian pride in the country's parliament, economy and courts in rapid decline. And then yesterday, British Columbians least interested in separating from Canada. And they do kind of fold together nicely. But let's talk about the first one, Mario, the decline of uh, regard for some of our institutions. Flesh that out for us this morning, please. Well, we ask this question every year. I've been asking it uh, for a long time, just trying to get a sense of what types of institutions and features of life in Canada make us proud. And uh, there are no changes in some of the usual suspects, if you will. The Canadian flag is still number one. Multiculturalism is number two at 69% when it comes to being a source of pride. But we've seen some changes over the past few years, and, and one of them is the rapid decline of healthcare as a source of pride. Mm. Uh, three years ago in 2019, before the COVID-19 pandemic, 77% of Canadians said that they were proud of the healthcare system. This year, it's down to 58%. I so believe it's a that. 19 point decline. Yep. And you know, it's, it's odd because a lot of people would have said that they were satisfied with the fact that everybody who wanted to get vaccinated got vaccinated and were sort of emerging from this crisis. And it's actually the opposite. Fewer people look at healthcare as a, as a source of a, a pride when they think about Canada. Well, we've seen the last two years of our healthcare system and our capabilities, Mario, stretch to the beyond extreme in many cases in many provinces and regions of the country. And it hasn't responded half as well as we assumed it would. Perhaps we were just assuming too much. Well, we see a lot of regional variations on this particular question. And I think this is also something that is affecting views the numbers are lowest in Quebec at 45%, Atlantic Canada at 51%. So you look at certain parts of the country where people are more likely to voice dissatisfaction about the healthcare system. And we see this in some of the other sources uh, that we test. Uh, bilingualism, for instance, not, a, not something that the residents of Alberta particularly like, and only 46%, but you go to Quebec and it's 66%. So right. that regional variation plays a role in the way the national numbers come out. It's interesting that you would point the pride in the Canadian flag was top of the pops and was followed closely by multiculturalism. And the reason I bring this up this morning, Mario, is because not three days ago, the Premier of Quebec, François Legault, was on public record as saying, I don't believe in multiculturalism. The fashionable thing in Quebec nowadays is to see multiculturalism as some kind of threat to the French fact. Now, that's that's really uh, uh, throwing a spanner into the works in terms of the high degree of popularity multiculturalism uh, enjoys in the rest of the country, doesn't it? 
Well, and also in Quebec, you know, we look at the numbers in Quebec and it's 70 percent. Uh, the lowest for the entire country would be in Alberta, 66 percent. But these aren't really wild variations. And it, it, it's quite interesting that Legault would go into something like this when there's an election happening uh, just three months from now. Um, one of the things that is complicated, particularly for them, is that um, he said a couple of things that really brought his popularity down, particularly when he was hinting at punishing people who weren't vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people didn't react very well to that. So it's quite strange because he seems to be a very popular premier, uh, but sometimes he'll say things to appeal to the base uh, that are going to throw them off as well. Well, you know, we had an election in Ontario just a few weeks ago, Mario, and to the shock of everybody in the country, Doug Ford was elected with a whacking huge majority by only 46% of eligible voters. That doesn't say a lot of positive things about the state of democracy or our sentiments towards our democracy. What is your poll finding on this? Well, we do see a little bit of a decline. 57% of Canadians say that they are happy with the state of democracy in the country. Uh, there's a very big gender gap uh, because we only have 52% of women who feel that way compared to 61% of men. Mm. The places where this is lowest is Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. And this is understandable. When we look at the last few federal elections, they have consistently voted conservative and they continue to get a liberal government. Right. So they're not particularly keen on the notion of having a a different type of system to elect the government, but that sense of dissatisfaction with the fact that they keep voting conservative and not forming the government is starting to take its toll. Right. And what about uh, nationally, the whole sentiment about Parliament? The Liberals under the Trudeau government are really pushing hard to make Parliament continue to be as irrelevant as they possibly can. They're going for more virtual Parliaments, which takes away, of course, the pressure of eye-to-eye contact and all of that sort of thing, and also really reduces the impact Impact of Parliament on the day-to-day business of governing. Uh, governing, rather. What about that uh, in your survey? It's the second lowest of the twelve institutions and features that we test. Forty-five percent of Canadians say they are proud of Parliament. If you voted Liberal, you're more likely to be happy. Sixty-eight percent. But it's only a 39 and 38 percent if you voted conservative or NDP. So there's definitely a sense of dissatisfaction. This is not the lowest that we've seen. There was a moment back in 2008, 2009. When he was actually in the 30s, uh, this is the early stages of the Stephen Harper minority government and a lot of people who are dissatisfied. So but the numbers are not great. I mean, we're used to seeing parliament closer to 50 percent, sometimes higher than 50 percent. Now it's only eight points ahead of the monarchy, which is consistently the lowest-ranked institution in our surveys. Well, it doesn't help when the government of the day for the last five to seven years treats Parliament like a really unnecessary annoyance that uh, really is to be avoided whenever possible. Let's move to the poll you released just yesterday. British, the, head, the headline, British Columbians least interested in separating from Canada. We were talking about the Premier of Quebec and his very strident opposition to multiculturalism. He says he doesn't want to Quebec uh, separate, by the way, uh, but they're they're doing it anyway in slow motion. What's what's the story on separation across the Canada? Alberta's starting to see a little stronger sentiment that way. You know, Alberta's been a very interesting case because there's been moments when we had 40 percent of Alberta saying that they would be happy if they became an independent nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, it was sorry, six months ago, it was 38 percent. Now it's 33 percent. So you still have a third of Albertans who are flirting with the idea 
of becoming an independent country. Quebec is at 32%. So we never imagined this 10, 15 years ago that the numbers for separation would be the same in those two provinces. And one of the things that is quite interesting is the way in which uh, they are trying to assert sovereignty without actually having a referendum. You know, part of the things that Legault is talking about, multiculturalism you know, not being great, yeah. uh, French taking precedence over everything. It's kind of the dream of Lucien Bouchard, but still keeping the Canadian dollar. So, as you said, you know, it's kind of like a stealth move towards sovereignty that is not going to entail a referendum. And it has no appetite uh, at all uh, when it comes to British Columbians uh, expressing any sentimental support for, for those uh, feelings. Nothing at all. And, and what, what we see here also is quite striking. Um, we're not particularly keen on the idea of joining the United States either. It's a question that we always ask because we want to have consistency. Uh, the, in Alberta, just six months ago, a lot of people were thinking, yeah, maybe we should join the United States. This year, not so much. Interesting stuff. And of course, now with uh, recent legislative changes by the United States Supreme Court, we're starting to see that sentiment. You know that you've seen it before many times. Let's just get out of here and move to Canada. We'll talk about that next time around. Thank you for this this morning. Always appreciate it when you take a few moments to take our pulse and tell us how we're doing. My pleasure, Sterling. Anytime. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen to us live, 6 to 9, weekend mornings. I'm Sterling Fox. Have a great week. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.